I V M. This is Storytellers and Storysellers live on tape, and you're listening to Vineet Kanabar on the IVM Podcast Network. On today's episode, we're going to sit down and talk to someone who's a legend in the space of business management, entrepreneurship, and now nonprofits. I had the good fortune to interview Mr. Vineet Nair at an event conducted by the E-Cell of Bits Pilani Hyderabad campus. We had a half an hour chat ranging from his philosophies to building companies, his approach to to start to mentoring startups and his vision for his NGO currently Sampark Foundation which he's planning to use to change India's education scene from the ground up. Stay tuned for my conversation with Mr. Vineet Nair right after these messages. Hi everyone and it's a, it's a pleasure to be hosting this session here at Launchpad 21 and I'm delighted to be talking to Mr. Vineet Nair, someone I've looked up to um, in my short career so far as well. To quickly give you a short introduction, uh, Mr. Vineet Nair is the founder, chairman and the CEO of Sampak Foundation, an NGO that is transforming children's lives across India. He's a business giant, a revered author and a generous philanthropist and a true inspiration for our generation. I'm also delighted that he's agreed to have this conversation be part of my podcast, Storytellers and Storysellers. It's an honor to host you, sir. Welcome to Launchpad 21. I hope you're well. Yes, I'm well. And thank you so much for inviting me and looking forward to this conversation. So glad to have you, sir. To get us started, let me ask you about your journey from CEO of HCL to, to CEO of an, at an NGO. It's, it's an incredible story. What all the students here want to know is what was the inspiration behind this transition from a corporate world into a more uh, philanthropic one? Uh, there is a story behind it. Uh, actually, New York Times had done uh, a center, uh, a corner piece on uh, Employee First, Customer Second, where my photograph was published. And that was also the time uh, Fortune magazine had nominated me as one of the dream team CEOs. And the book, I Employ First, Customer Second, was uh, doing very well. So my head was about uh, 10 times the size of what you see right now. I was, I was in the clouds. And I made a mistake of walking up to my mother. She was a school teacher. And said, uh, aren't you proud of what your son has done? And I expected her to tell me that uh, she is very fortunate that I was born to her. Uh, so she took out a piece of paper and wrote it, uh, wrote something on it and put it uh, in a used envelope and gave it to me and said that I was flying to New York that night and said that uh, on the flight, why don't you open and read it and you will have my answer. So I was having this single malt glass in, in, in a first class Air India, a direct flight to New York. And uh, I anticipated and opened the envelope and it had only one word in it and it said enough. So I landed in New York and called her back and said, Mom, what does that mean? And she said that if you have not understood it, you will understand it on your way back. This was 2011. And that is the time I understand there comes a time in life where you have had enough wealth, enough recognition, enough, enough of all that. And comes a time for you to spend the rest of your life uh, in the good of the humanity to try and pull everybody else who was not as fortunate as you. And that is the start of my journey in philanthropy. And fortunately, my wife was already uh, in that. And that's how Sampark Foundation was born, out of the world called Enough. 
that's incredible wisdom from your mother and just incredible incredible humility from you as well to sort of look at yourself um, reflect back and then decide to to give back in such a big way it's just a wonderful story again um, i just want to point out not only are our names the same my mother is also a teacher so uh, this story really hits home um, in something that i look forward to in in listening to from my my mother as well um, let me ask you about your entrepreneurial venture sir they were almost a decade apart you've seen such a revolution such a change happening over the last 20 years india has gone from a com- a country that was transitioning from an agro based to a more manufacturing economy now we suddenly have apps and services and everything so what are your notes on your entrepreneurial journey on the startup ecosystem what are some some observations that really hit home with you i think there are two parts the uh, the first uh, which was comnet which was which was the 90s belonged to a lot of companies like us were wanting to build what we call build to last uh, so the reason we started the company i started the company 6 years out of college uh, was to try and do something which has not been done before and internet was just about coming in and therefore there was uh, a vision a dream uh, an idea uh, and a huge appetite for risk there was no capital but there was a desire to build something which could be multi billion dollars and that's how uh comnet became a multi billion dollar company out of doing something uh, which did not exist the second was around transformation but to answer your specific question in terms of when i look around and look at startups i get a little worried because they are not built to last but they are built to sell and if you are building companies to sell then you are focused on the wrong thing you are focused on selling an idea uh, pandering it uh, or even getting into areas which are not for profit for example a uh, huge valuation in the edtech area uh, i truly believe edtech should not be about profit but people are making billions and billions of dollars out of edtech profit is that the right ethical thing to do the answer is no so i'm seeing a lot of startups which are taking the short route to success and therefore they are either selling stuff they should not be selling or they are highlighting their stuff which is not of as great value as it was in the past and i am yet to see startups and there are some startups but i'm yet to see the large startups become successful build on the idea that they are passionate about building companies to last in india we need companies built to last whether it is infosys or hcl or wipro or ambani's all these companies or tatas they were all built to last and that is the reason of even after multi generations uh, they are benchmarks for us and that is unfortunately you know especially in the last decade i have not seen companies i'm seeing companies a lot of companies short change and that will work for you in a bit you must remember maybe you will have a lifespan of 90 90 years or 100 years or maybe 80 years in that even if you are successful for 5 10 years by selling something which nobody else has wanted to buy but you are smart enough to sell something and create multi million dollars it's not going to give you fulfillment so all the entrepreneurs out there Uh, sit back and think a little bit more of building companies to last and not building the billing them to sell that's just such long term strategic way of looking at uh, at doing business and not just about cashing out and making money for yourself but also generally adding value uh, around society when is a when you mentor startups um, and you famously don't disclose how are you trying to help help them bridge the gap what is the advice that that you give them um, very 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 three very simple but very hard questions in terms of uh, my first question is why you you know what is what is the kida in you what is the 
a buzz in you that you want to do a startup because startups are very, very difficult propositions. They're very enjoyable propositions, but very, very difficult. And you need a certain set of characteristics to be able to manage a startup. So why you? Second is, uh, who's going to pay you? Uh, and the third is, why is that person going to pay you? And in my conversation, in my mentorship conversations are not pretty. They are very, very ugly. They are very, very tough. And I, I tell all my, you know, there are 18 companies I mentor and tell all of them that I'm not, I'm not here to win popularity contest. I'm going to, I'm trying to pre-pone your mistakes rather than postpone your mistakes by telling. So if you can answer these three questions every time you meet me in terms of why you, what is the buzz? Why do you still want to do it? Why should somebody pay you? And, uh, you know, is there, is there an option for that person to pay you? So if you are, it's, it's an aniseen ad. If you remember the aniseen ad, sir mein dard hai, means are you, do you have a headache? The answer is yes. Naak band hai, uh, yes. Bukhar hai, yes. Body mein pain hai, yes. Ha bhai ha. So only when you say ha bhai ha, you say the aniseen low, ya saradon low, or kaam pe chalo. So I think startups should understand it. They have to ask that question. Instead of saying, I have a great idea, you better like it. How, how dare you don't like it? I mean, I was talking to a startup yesterday uh, and they are making this satellite tracking uh, devices where they can uh, track uh, transport and everybody else who's through a satellite. And I was asking the same thing. Why you? Why is anybody going to spend that? Who's going to pay you? And why are they going to pay you as much? And what is their alternative? So I think the faster you think of tough questions and the less in love with your own idea you are, the higher chance uh, you would have of success. Entrepreneurship and startup is not about your idea. It is about the journey of trying to do something which has not been done before. Ideas can change. The spirit of entrepreneurship should not change. You should be like a dog. You should sniff yourself to the right, uh, right answer rather than have the answer day one when you start. Let me ask you a quick follow-up and just, just a wonderful way that you just uh, demystified your process. Let me ask you a quick follow-up. It's one of those sort of binary questions, but I think you'll have a wonderful, interesting answer. Can the entrepreneurial spirit, like you mentioned, be taught or is, is that in your experience, you've seen something that people are mostly only born with? Uh, Vineet, as, as we talked about it, I'll go back to my mother because she was my guru and, uh, you know, all of us should listen to our mothers a little bit more carefully. And she said something very interesting that every stage in the life, uh, everybody goes through different stages of life. The first stage of life is to try and get enough money in life, right? So some people never get over that stage. Even they have billions, they want more billions. So having enough money in life for you to feel satisfied. The second is having recognition in life to feel satisfied that whatever 25 years of education, uh, you, have, you are recognized for the best in class. And the third is obviously give back to society. We'll come to that. So therefore, an entrepreneur is born only if that entrepreneur has the second purpose, which is that this entrepreneur wants to be recognized because he has enough money or he has made enough money or that is because all entrepreneurs who get into the business to make money never make money. Right. All entrepreneurs who get into the, for the passion and the excitement of trying to be recognized or building something nobody else has built have a chance of success. So therefore, it is not whether you were born entrepreneur or you become or learn to be an entrepreneur. It is what is your level of satisfaction or dissatisfaction or frustration in life. So I have seen people become very successful entrepreneurs when they become 60. And some become very successful when they are 20. So it really depends upon 
you know, at what stage of life you wish to create something which has not been created before and how much capacity of hard work, of patience, of failure do you have? And if you have that, it comes, sometimes it comes early in life, sometimes it comes late in life. So I personally do not believe you're a born entrepreneur. I, that, that concept doesn't exist to me because all of us over you know, 70, 80 years of our life go through various phases and be transformed. And therefore, an entrepreneur can be born at any stage of your life. It's a wonderfully clear and uh, such an articulate definition of, of how you can be an entrepreneur. It's such a hopeful definition as well, right? Because, and, and again, we're at a, at a school right now, kids want, want to build a startup, sell it, move on, and versus the thought of finding a problem that you're passionate about, figuring out how you want to solve it, solve it better than uh, it's been done before, and then lead, that leading into your entrepreneurial journey. It's a wonderful thought, sir. Um, let me pivot this conversation a little bit to about your book and the current scenario we find ourselves in. Again, um, it's it's strange that we're having this conversation one year into COVID and we've sort of found our our way to work there. But there are companies which have had to let employees go. Certain companies have had to cut um, salaries. Some have given salaries back as well. But in the context of COVID and a post-COVID uh, business world, how does employees first, customer second uh, manifest for companies? I think we need, I, I am very clear about it that all companies which let employees go had lazy management and poorly governed boards. Uh, and the reason I say it is not because I'm a socialist, I'm a capitalist, is because they don't understand the core strategy of any company. Right. The core strategy of creating value is around innovation. The only people who can create innovation is motivated employees, not demotivated employees. And if an employee is always watching his or her bank in terms of does she or does she have not have a job, there will be no innovation. The only way to get out of COVID situations or crisis like this is to innovate the shit out of this place, right? And if you have a set of motivated employees, you have a chance. If you don't have a set of motivated employees, you don't have a chance. So if you have a leaking board and everybody is bailing out water, so instead of Instead of everybody bailing out water, you start throwing people out of the board, predominantly because, you know, the weight is too much. Right. Obviously, you're going to sink because you're not going to have people who are going to bail the water out of the, out of the board. And this is something I don't understand. Why does employee cost factor in, in this lazy CEOs and board's mind? While you could potentially go back and saying, this is a tough situation and we will not let employee go. In 2008, when the crisis happened at HCL, we declared a policy of no HCLite left behind. That means irrespective of what happens, we will not sack any single HCL employee and we, we will take a lot of salary, we will take a lot of cost cuts, but we will not ask any employee to go. What happened? We never saw a single quarter of negative growth. We kept on growing because there was motivated set of employees. Now, I run Sampal Foundation, which is for social good, which, is, which works with schools. All schools closed down. We announce the same policy that none of the 150, 200 employees who work for us in villages, none of them will lose their salary, none of them will lose a single day of pay, and all their uh, all their jobs are assured. What happened? All of them started working from home, started calling teachers from home, and the amount of work we have done over the last one year in 84,000 schools is much more than what we have done in, in, in the last few years. Right. So I think... All of you should understand that employee is not a cost. Employee is your only way out. When 
you know, you are rowing in a in a river, and you are synchronized, and everybody is is singing the same song. However, when turbulence comes in, you suddenly have to shift to river rafting. When it is river rafting, the skill of every single employee counts. And at that particular time, you start throwing the employees in the river. Who do you think is going to river raft you out of trouble? Right. You know, so it is mindless, Vineet. It is absolutely mindless. But people, some of the organizations in India don't get it. And therefore, they feel very happy announcing on pink papers. We, we sacked 5,000 people or 1,000 people or 2,000 people. Mindless, absolutely mindless. Not realizing that the people who are gone are not the problem. The people who have stayed back are so demotivated that they don't want, don't want to work for you anymore. And therefore, you have destroyed the value, long-term value of the company forever. Now, that's that's such, such an enlightened way of looking at it because I have seen friends in the industry right now as well, uh, big companies, small companies, losing motivation, always looking over their shoulders. Some of them have escaped the acts and they're, they're more relieved. But, but you're right, the long-term impression of the company in the employee's mind has has been drastically altered and, and motivation is definitely definitely a problem. We need to, let me ask you about Sampark a little bit. And it's it's interesting that you've stated in an interview previously that you're going to shutter Sampark by 2025. What would you say you're looking to achieve by then to say, hey, this, this thing has done its job. Um, the reason why I started it at my mother's advice so many years ago now, it's, it's done. So what, what are you hoping to achieve by 2025? I, I think there are two, one, one, there is a management reason to say 2025 because the reason of existence of Sampark Foundation is to solve a problem and not to give Vineet Nair space in economic times of Times of India or get one medal or the other medal, right? What is the problem we have? The problem we have is out of 14, 15 crore children studying in our schools, 70, 80% of them can't count in grade five beyond number 99 or construct simple sentences. So if Sampak Foundation, which started in 2013, cannot solve it in 10, 12, 13 years, using design thinking, using innovation, then its reason for existence doesn't, doesn't arise. And therefore we need to shut down Sampak Foundation because it failed to transform education. If it does transform education, then again, you don't need Sampark Foundation because it has solved a problem it was sent to create. And therefore, I always believe you should not start something unless you have an end date. And that is the reason we have an end date for Sampark Foundation. And your second question in terms of what after 2025? See, I, I personally believe that I'm in a stage of life where I believe that innovative ideas and innovative thoughts can transform societies in a very large way. And that is what my focus is going to be. So Sampar Foundation has a specific agenda of trying to transform education. My agenda is far beyond Sampar Foundation agenda. It's to try and bring ideas which transforms the society uh, so that we are a better set of six, seven billion people than we are today. That's such a noble yet extremely ambitious goal. I mean, education in this country is so deeply uh, intertwined with how conditions are, how prospects are for people. How have you broken this down, sir, um, to achieve that 25 goal? If, if you could give us, say, your top three priorities that, that you're looking at in this sector. Right. So the first, first was that uh, the critical question we asked is, where does the value in education get created? And while all the entrepreneurs are listening, please understand this is exactly what I tell all the companies I mentor. You need to 
you need to be able to answer these three questions. Where is the critical value created in your organization? For us, it is created in the interface of the child and the teacher. Question number two, who creates the value? The answer is the teacher creates the value. Number three, if the teacher is the value creator in that value zone between the child and the teacher, what should the role and responsibility of Sampark Foundation is? And therefore, we said the role of responsibility of Sampark Foundation has to be enthusing, encouraging, and enabling the teacher with innovative tools and technologies so that she can create magic in, in, in that value zone between the teacher and the child. The fourth question and the most important question is, okay, where else has somebody created value? And we came across and saying two areas we have seen created value. Bollywood, you go to any village and they put up these screens and they have an immersive experience of seeing the movie and forget about the illness, hunger, everything. So can we bring that immersive experience into a classroom? Number two, Mary Poppins or equivalent Vidya Balan in Mumbai MBPS where she says, good morning, Mumbai. Can we bring a sutradhar, we call her Sampak Didi, which can ignite the classroom and create an enthusiasm with song and dance and, you know, and suddenly we start teaching language and math through song and dance and education and school is a lot of fun. We rolled that out and we have rolled it out in 84,000 schools. There are one crore children impacted through this uh, education transformation and the learning outcome has dramatically changed. It is not that we are teaching you a new way of teaching addition or subtraction. It's just about motivating. The same as employee first, customer second in HCL. If you can enthuse the teachers, encourage the teachers, increase the motivation level, increase the clock speed, and they can transmit that enthusiasm to the, to the children, magic happens. So this is what we have done in phase one. In phase two, we are launching science. We are teaching science through fun. We are teaching science through experimentations. We are teaching science through drama. And we are pushing the envelope of teaching our children 21st century skills, communication, uh, collaboration, so that when they come out of the schooling system, not only they are literate, but they are also good citizens and they can earn a lot more than they're currently doing because they, they know the 21st century skills. So that's the vision. Two crore children, 200,000 schools by 2025. And I hope you far exceed that goal, sir. And I just want to point out the market difference in which you talk about this as holistic education, as uh, a sort of almost grounds up restructuring or grounds up movement, whereas there are other ed tech companies out there who are focused, more focused on marketing the middle class dream in that sense. So very, very different schools of thought. And, um, and again, once again, we wish you all the very best for that. As we sort of near the end of this talk, sir, I have sort of two questions to ask you, one short and one slightly longer one. Um, the short one is, what would you, what according to you is, is the difference between being an entrepreneur or a founder CEO versus say an external CEO? How, how, how are those roles different or similar in your view? I, uh, <laughs> to me, it is like, uh, you know, uh, being a mother of the house where you are responsible for everything. You're responsible for children education. You're responsible for everything and not getting credit for it. Uh, because everybody else in the house gets credit for it. That is the life of an entrepreneur. You know, you are a mother to everybody. Everybody will come and cry on you. Everybody, every problem is your problem. Every solution, you have to try and find a solution. You have to hire. You, you know, you, you are the understated glue in making that whole thing work. And you will not get credit necessarily for the success because some people don't even know that you exist. A CEO is... Uh, 
uh, I'm sorry to say that, but it's a pet you have in the in the house because he he or she has a purpose. Uh, so the board has a purpose. They want to cut costs. They want to increase sales. Uh, they want to launch a new product. They have an R&D in mind. So they have. So based on that, they hire a CEO of a particular profile. And when the CEO comes in, he has a set agenda. So the CEOs come in with an agenda which the board have set. So if you are damn good at one thing, you should be CEO, right? Because you are damn good at expanding markets. You're damn good at new products. You're damn good at transforming companies. You're damn good at uh, cutting costs and firing people. You know, if you're damn good at one thing, become a CEO. But if you really like this really tough job of being a mother, of of building something, uh, building children and enjoying, you know, you build companies and obviously the company will be bought by somebody or it will go to next generation. It may succeed, it may not succeed, but you love the process of building. If you love the process of building and enjoy each day of coming to office because you're completely free, you're not not dancing to somebody's tune and you have your own song to sing, uh, then being a, be an entrepreneur. But don't be an entrepreneur if you don't don't like that. I think that's the clearest difference in in between the two that I've heard. It also a thought popped into my head uh, where I was like, maybe in the future we'll have a chief entrepreneur or entrepreneurial officer in companies whose profile will be different from, say, a traditional CEO maybe. So our last question to you for, for this talk. We want, to, want you to tell us what is sort of the biggest business challenge you faced um, in your life. And again, with, with your goals in, in education, that is a massive, massive challenge. We'd love to know how you've approached tackling those and what advice you'd give to young entrepreneurs who are also seeking their own business challenge. I, I would say if you if you look at my life, I have made more mistakes than all of you put together. Uh, I still remember uh, when I started this company, Comnet, we had no money and we decided to bid for National Stock Exchange uh, contract. This was National Stock Exchange was being set up. It was the biggest contract going on in India. We were a startup with zero revenue, uh, and we decided to bid for it. And uh, the passion with which we went, I mean, it was a foolish idea because, you know, there was no revenue, there was no history, there was no nothing. And I still remember we stayed in a South Bombay hotel, name I will not say. Uh, So there were 14 of us staying in one room. And anybody, the waiter will come in, will hide in the bathroom because that is the only one room we could afford. But we had to stay in that hotel because if National Stock Exchange would call, they should at least feel that we are staying in a in a five-star hotel and therefore they will not ask us questions, do we have the money or not? So coming from that point of view, 14 of us had to come up with ideas which are so fascinating and which are so fantastic and which are so out of the box that National Stock Exchange will decide that to go in and take a risk with a young startup rather than go in with the old fuddy-duddies who have old ideas. And that is exactly what happened. Uh, but the challenge at that particular time is we built the company. So had we not got the National Stock Exchange, we would have closed down. So my entrepreneurial dream would have died within two years of its start. But actually it took off like a rocket because... So my first advice to everybody is that if you truly love what you're doing, uh, give give it all. The second uh, advice was that in the HCL transformation journey, you know, we were we were in the transformation, which is changing the form of our company permanently. And I used to do this open houses where every employee could potentially ask any questions. And there was a girl who said something very interesting. She was in London and she said something very interesting, which is very powerful for me. And she says that 
uh, Vineet, do uh, you mind if I am very frank with you? I said, yes, go ahead. And she says, I find you, I find you quite foolish. And I said, I have two teenagers at home and I have heard that before, but tell, give me your reasons of why you find me foolish. And she gave me a reason, which was, we don't have time to go into that, but she gave me a reason uh, that I, you were celebrating uh, with a set of people who are creating problems and rewarding them for creating less problems rather than incentivizing them for not creating problems in the first instance, which is around HR, uh, finance, and all those, all those sets of people. Now, if you are in the business of listening uh, and you, you are able to keep your ego out and can listen to anybody and everybody's criticism, reflect on it, then you have a chance of making less mistakes. So I have made more mistakes than everybody else. But fortunately, I was open to criticism for a lot of people, internal and external, because of which I was able to correct my mistakes faster <laughs> than many others because of which you think I'm successful, but actually I'm not. I'm the one who corrects <laughs> my mistakes very quickly. Uh, and therefore, in the end, the results are good, but those are not my ideas. That's a wonderful way of looking at things. It's truly mind-blowing. Thank you. I mean, I can't contrast the, the mindset uh, when you talked about the story uh, about the listing versus how people are looking at capital right now. There is obviously... That out of out of the box, uh, out of the box thinking, that long term vision, that's obviously been the foundations of of where you are today. So thank you so much um, for sharing your thoughts. Uh, it was a wonderful session. I'm I've taken in so much wisdom. I'm a little at a loss for words as well. Thank you again for such a wonderful, enriching session, sir. I would also like to thank Amazon Web Services, Novello, and Gold Street, our sponsors for the event. That's it from uh, Mr. Vineet Nair and me, Vineet Kanavar here, um, and please. Uh, listeners, please stay on to attend the next session with Mr. Vivek Sundar, who is the CEO at Swiggy at Launchpad 21. Thank you, guys. That's all for this session. Thank you. Take care. All the very best. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. Bye. And that was my chat with Mr. Vineet Nair at the Bits Pilani Hyderabad campus eCell event. I had a wonderful time listening to his views and his wisdom accumulated over years of working in this industry and in this space. I hope you enjoyed our chat as well. Um, I didn't get to ask him one piece of entertainment which he would recommend to his listeners. So I'm going to recommend something to you guys. And that is going to be Love Island Season 6 on Lionsgate Play if you're watching in India. Yep. That's what I said. Love Island Season 6. The most wholesome reality TV show experience that I've had in the past couple of years. Right after Skull Cyprosis. Check that out. That's me, Vinit Kanabar, saying goodbye.